Welcome to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. As always, I'm so excited to be back here with you this week, serving up personal and spiritual growth conversations for the insecure attachment type. And today we go deep into attachment type with the amazing therapist, coach, guide, Tawny Lyons. She's also a teacher. So today we talk about so many things attachment style. Tawny shares her attachment style that she's been recovering from, how she got to earn secure, how she helps clients move through their own attachment style, and how to depathologize attachment style. I love this because sometimes we can get too attached to our attachment style, right? I've seen this across so many different modalities, human design, astrology, attachment style. We get sucked in and then we can start to identify with that label. And then all of a sudden we're using it to um, armor ourselves as opposed to heal ourselves. So I just really love this conversation. It's amazing. And then we finish by talking about how to define sexuality and gender because she helps her clients through that as well. And I myself went on my own little sexuality journey exploration last year and it was amazing. And I always love to talk about it. So before we get into the episode, of course, I have my check-in for this week. And this week, I want to talk about a couple things. First of all, still just a couple weeks after the Roe v. Wade announcement, and um, there's so much going on in the world, truly. So want to just mark the moment. I just want to say thank you to everyone who has participated in the donation match for abortion rights funds. So far to date, we have almost $200 in donations, which means I've matched those $200 and we have about 300 more to go. So please, please, please participate. Visit my Instagram to learn which um, three abortion rights funds I'm recommending. If you want to donate to your own, please just DM me a copy of the receipt and I will match the funds for to the dollar. We're just we're helping women and people with uteruses across the US with the care that they need so that they don't resort to violent uh, acts to deal with their abortions. Jeez, that was brutal, but I had to say it. It's so true. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And for anyone who hasn't participated yet, you can, again, just visit my Instagram. It's me, Sarah Cohan. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N. And see the instructions on how to participate. So I'm just like really, really excited for this fund. Really excited to match your donations. And uh, yeah, it, it really makes me feel good. So thank you. And I also wanted to announce something that I wanted to share two weeks ago, but with all the announcements and all the change, just didn't feel like the right timing. I felt like a couple weeks ago, what we really needed was emotional processing. And I wanted to let you know that I've launched my first online course, my first online worksheet, really. It's not like a course course. It is an extension of my annual um, goal setting uh, workshop. So every year at the end of the year, or sorry, more like the beginning of the year, I host goal setting workshops to to set your intentions for the year. It's one of my favorite things. I love working with you on this. And I've put together some of my favorite tools that I have used to manifest 
big ass things in my life, including quitting smoking, quitting drinking, paying off $18,000 worth of credit card debt, finding a bridge job that makes over six figures, and so many things related to this podcast, like so many. Every single guest on here basically is using this method. (laughs) I wanted to share this with you. It's a worksheet as well as a video guide, and you can use it to kind of do your halfway through the year check-in. So I know we're in July. The summer solstice has passed. The days are actually getting shorter, which is crazy because I feel to me like we're just getting, we're just hitting that summit of summer, which is so exciting. So this was just a nice thing for you to do to check in with yourself halfway through the year, see how things are going and um, track what you've already been up to. If you haven't set goals for this year, that's okay. Don't feel like you have to have set them in order to do the worksheet. Um, I'll, I'll share how to set them with you. And how to set them in a way that they're going to get done. One of my things was to get pregnant this year. And that was the first thing that I did this year. (laughs) Ah, lol. It's crazy looking back at those things. My favorite thing about this is actually like, uh, I've heard so many people be like, okay, write your manifestation list and then just burn it or put it in a drawer and don't look at it and just let those things go. And I don't necessarily teach that style because I know how hard that can be. (laughs) I'm not really sure how to let those things go. I'm learning though. But what's happening is that my subconscious is like still working on the goals without me actually thinking about working on the goals. So um, setting a savings goal has always been on my mind and I'm I'm like one fourth of the way to my savings goal, which feels incredible. Like that's been on my list for so long. Yeah, check it out. It's really fun. I love it. It's like a nice little moment for yourself. And if you're interested, you can go to sarahcohan.com under work with me in the worksheet library and you will see the workshop called Manifest Your Dream Year Worksheet with Video Guide. Go check it out. That's at sarahcohan.com, S A R A H C O H A N.com in the worksheet library. And I, I just wish you happy goal setting, happy manifesting, happy building the dream life that you want because that is entirely within your grasp and your reality and not the life that someone else wants, the life that you actually want. So exciting. All right. That's it for today's check-in. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for supporting the Abortion Rights Fund. And let's get into this episode with Tani. So excited to have you here. I think we're just going to have a really juicy discussion today. So can you just kick us off by introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, my name is Tawny and I'm a therapist in the state of California and a coach all over the world. And I focus primarily on intimacy and interdependence and sexuality. And I love talking all things mindfulness and attachment based. I love that. So many juicy topics. I can't wait. And I feel like you're in the perfect place to be doing this work. I truly, like this is, we need it. We need it so badly. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. We need your work too. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, trying to keep, trying to keep all this education stuff fun. 
Okay, so let's just kick it off with attachment style because it's my favorite favorite topic. Actually, let's kick it off with would you be willing to share your attachment style and your experience with attachment? Yeah, sure. So at this point, I would say I'm earned secure. Yay! (laughs) And under stress, I would say I probably came from more of a fearful, avoidant, disorganized attachment. Mm. It was different with different caretakers, um, of course, which is very normal. And then different after a divorce, of course, very normal. And then also Mm. previous relationships, but done a lot of work on it. And under stress, I'll go to either avoidant or preoccupied. Join the club. You're in good company. You're in the best of company. (laughs) And how did you start to realize you, we just talked about this, but like, how did you start to realize what was going on? with your attachment style? The first time I really started to recognize it was I was probably 19. I had already been in a relationship that spanned a very long time for a couple of years then, but I had recognized that I had dissociation. I didn't necessarily have the words for that, but I started doing yoga when I was younger, but it wasn't consistent. And then I was like, I want to go through a 200 hour yoga teacher training for my own reasons. And one of them was to have more bodily awareness because I really couldn't sense out what I was feeling and sensations, how they correlate to feelings in my body. And I would also, when I would get triggered, I'd shut down and have a lot of numbness. And so now with neuroscience research and interpersonal neurobiology, we can come to understand a polyvagal theory. We can come to understand that that makes total sense when there's dissociation, when you're out of your window of tolerance and when you're feeling emotionally dysregulated and things like yoga can really help to bring in interoception and neuroception into our bodies, into our senses. So that was really the first step into that arena for me. And then also I was always fascinated with psychology, trying to understand connection with myself and other people. It was hard for me to understand, which I think is kind of like a bookmark on hmm, something's happening there. Mm, interesting. Wow. And then how did you start healing it? Yoga is a definite, definitely a really big one. Also, my relationship to nature has always been really huge for me. And mm. it's very akin to my higher power or spirituality. However, a person wants to conceptualize that experience of awe and beyond mm. human or sometimes called transpersonal. That's very healing, connecting, and helps me to touch into wholeness. And that has been a very consistent theme and on my healing journey is being able to look out at something like a sunset or the ocean or go on hikes to be able to be to feel that kind of oneness that feels secure. Journaling has been a huge part of my practice too, therapy. And also an interesting one that I've been trying to understand more is I really find flow through my own learning. And mm. And that's felt like a consistent, secure base for me is education, Um, not necessarily academia. I mean, neuroscience and philosophy are really homey to me, but there's something there. And I'm really curious about studying that more with people who who find that um, sense of flow through learning. Same. I like, I feel it. It feels so good. When I don't do it for too long, I like get a little bit off center and then I'll have to like go back and I'm like, I I wasn't learning for so long. I was just, you know, in a job and not focusing on that. And then I had to like take two years off and just learn every day. It was crazy, (laughs) but it was so helpful. And coming back to it is just like, it's feeding my soul. Like it feels so good. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'd like to know if it feels like this to you where it's, you know, if we think about parts work, which has been really big mm. on my journey too, 
when you're when I'm learning something, I feel like it it helps me to express each different part of me that other times I can forget. Mm. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I love that. I'm gonna have to explore that. I haven't I have not thought about it in that way. Cool. Okay, so how do you see attachment style affecting like insecure attachment styles for the most part in affecting your clients? The first thing that can be really helpful to notice is if somebody has more of an avoidant or dismissive preoccupied or disorganized attachment fearful wouldn't is the containment around therapy. So if they have a hard time staying in weekly or biweekly, if they don't want to stay in therapy, if there's a lot of other things coming up, I like to bring in attachment to see if there's something happening in that dynamic or the dynamic to containment and consistency and commitment to something, to anything, but especially therapy where it's emotionally vulnerable, right? You know, I definitely see therapy as a microcosm of the bigger world out there. So the relational piece comes in of how is our dynamic? How is it? How is your dynamic in the relational container of therapy or the therapeutic container? And then of course, how they interact with other people in their lives and also with work and life. I mean, I say work because we're in a capitalistic society and that's the biggest thing usually we talk about, but also totally. just relationship to life because attachment styles, they aren't just about our romantic relationships, they impact every area of our life. Every area. Oh my God. My work, my work attachment style has been the biggest thing that I am like fixing through my current job. It's just amazing to have this experience because I'm surrounded by secure coworkers that are like, how can we help? Like, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. But before this, I don't even think I, I would put myself in a place where I felt safe to start to work on this and just share and be vulnerable. So do you feel comfortable sharing the, the attachment style you have to work? Oh yeah. 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 Definitely fearful avoidant. I, yes, for sure. Fearful avoidant, very hot and cold, very much like come look at me, but get away from me. Like <laughs> I, get, I don't want your attention, but I need it so badly. And just so making up so many stories and trauma responses of like what it means if I'm not included and yeah. yeah, there's yeah. just, there's so much like reparenting that happens like on my daily now in terms of old stories and beliefs and triggers that come up from work. I think it's incredible that not only, not only that you have the awareness, but then that there's community there around it and language to be able to say these things. Cause you know, when you're open about it, it doesn't just impact you. It impacts everybody. Cause I'm sure a lot of people have those experiences. Yeah, it's it's an incredible, incredible experience. So how does you started talking about um how clients will show up weekly or not? Mm-hmm. How like what do you see in the different sides of the spectrum of attachment, like when they show up or how they show up? Yeah, I mean I wanna be careful here to not say that there that people fit into very specific categories. Um, I more just try to bring it in like as an example, if somebody is canceling a lot, had a really tough session where they got into some deeper stuff and if they lean more dismissive avoidant or if Mm. they lean more fearful avoidant or, you know, whatever their attachment style may be, if something like that happens the next time we meet, I want to bring it up to see what is happening. And if there is that, if that's even something in their view, if that's something they want I really try not to hold any theory as I know more than you, but rather this could be what it is. What do you, how do you feel and think about it? 
It all stems from the client, right? Like yes, their own healing journey. Totally. And I think that's really important because I'm not the expert on anybody else's experience. Yeah. But you're there. You're like there to witness, which is so beautiful. Yes. And I'm grateful for the people who can witness me too. Yeah. Oh, so fun. I love that. Okay. So how do you help clients heal their attachment style? First and foremost, I just try to be a secure base for them. I mean, I feel like that's, Mm. that is what my job is um, and not job in a way where I have to do, but job where I get to do it. Like this is, Mm. you know, it's, it's pretty incredible to be able to, like you said, witness people in their growth and healing process and to just be there, which means sometimes, you know, if somebody's really angry and they have to work through things, it's like externalizing the inner parenting process, you know, like in a certain sense, I hold it like that, like the reparenting through the projections that people have onto me and me continuing to be a secure, stable, safe place to come to. That's huge. That sounds like my workplace. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which I never would have said years ago, but here I am. I mean, that's amazing. Basically, you're saying your colleagues are your therapist. Yeah. (laughs) That's That's ideal. Yeah. I mean, you could all love music like that, you know? Yeah. Yes. I love that. But it's cool. It's so cool to have. I mean, having that stable base that you're talking about makes such a difference because you're like, oh, I see it now. Like, I see how it could be or I see how it is. Yeah. And now I know that I can can embody that too or I can surround myself, like, with people like that. Yes. Because if we haven't experienced it, there's no way for us to even imagine it. And that's another thing too is, you know, I don't know if you've heard of this protocol that they do. Daniel P. Brown did, he he passed a couple months ago from what I understand, but he's at Harvard and he's, he, it's called the ideal parent protocol. And it's basically based on different kinds of Buddhist meditation, but you bring in visualizations like of the five pillars of secure attachment and you bring in your idealized parents and how they would respond to you. It has shown over, I can't remember how many sessions, it might be something like 144, but don't quote me on that. I mean, I'm going to be quoted, I guess, because now- Very specific. You know, very specific. <laughs> you continue to do it. And just by being able to imagine it, we're able to embody it. So active visualization is such an important aspect of healing our, our insecure attachment and also just in general. You know, it's like sports psychology. When people are wanting to win a game, they imagine shooting the hoop. It's the same kind of thing. Right, right. Yes, which I'm like not really into sports, but when it comes to that stuff, I'm like, tell me more. <laughs> Explain it all to me. How do I get – how do I win the game? Not that we're winning the game ever, but <laughs> – I want to learn. (laughs) I've done a lot of visualization work on having with my ideal parents. Mm -hmm. I did this with friends and they often used like um, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith, which I just thought was like the cutest thing ever. Just to like throw some ideas out there to anyone that's listening. (laughs) It's such a fun exercise, but I definitely didn't do it 144 times. So I think maybe I need to go back and do it a few more times to let it sink in. Yeah. Yeah. And and over time, how those things can change too. You know, like, oh, well, now I feel mm. delighted in, but it's harder for me to feel seen, you know, just as an example, not necessarily that I have that experience, but those are some of the pillars of secure attachment. 
But, uh, so you mentioned earlier there's five pillars of secure attachment. What are those? If you can remember them, no pressure. Don't worry if you can't. Um, I'm not going to be able to remember them off the top of my head, but I can look them up. <laughs> I love that. Um, Here we go. And it is the first one is a felt sense of safety or a sense of felt safety. So when we're talking about that embodiment component, component of the ideal parents, it's like, what do I feel like in my body when I'm feeling very safe? For me, my exhales are much longer. I can feel my chest more open. I can feel my senses more online. The second one is a sense of being seen and known, which is also what we just mentioned, but otherwise called attunement. You know, when somebody, you can really feel that person with you. And then the experience of felt comfort, otherwise known as soothing. The cooing sound comes up sometimes, whether it's in partnership from parents or with friends, you know, like that, hmm, anything. And then a sense of valued which that's the express express delight like I'm so excited that you're going into grad school I'm so excited that you just made that delicious dinner even if it's something that I'm not that stoked about I'm stoked about it for you and then this one is more on the adventure and autonomy side which is also really important the sense of support for you being your best self and becoming your best self interesting it's like self-actualization I love that I would never have guessed that would be a pillar So like the thing that I think of when I think of that is like if you were at, let's say you're a little kiddo, like little baby Sarah, and you're out at the playground with your parents. Yes, so cute. (laughs) And there's a field out in the back, you know, like way back in the backfield, there's like a special swing. If you have secure attachment with your parents, then you're going to go back to the swing because you know that when you turn around, they're still going to be there. But if you're preoccupied, dismissive, or fearful, avoidant, there's going to be some reason why either you're preoccupied, you're dismissive, or you're not sure what to do. Mm. You can't trust that they're going to be there for you and that you you can't trust that they want you to have fun and adventure and go out there and live your life. Wow. Well, I want to get on that swing set. I want to thrive on that swing set. <laughs> Turn around and the, they'll still be there. <laughs> All the things. Yes. Beautiful. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this week's episode. I know I am. If you're enjoying the Lit AF podcast, I humbly ask you to make a financial contribution to the Lit AF tip jar. Your support will help make this podcast happen. Financial contributions help to cover costs like podcast hosting site, podcast recording software, and it also helps us to pay our amazing, talented podcast editor that brings us these sweet episodes every single week. Monthly and one-off donation options are available, and we've got some sweet thank you gifts for everyone participating. If you're interested in making your financial contribution, please visit sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Now back to this week's episode. Thank you so much. So talk to me about depathologizing insecure attachment style. What does that mean to you? What that means to me is that when if somebody comes to me and they say, I'm avoidant or I'm anxious, preoccupied, or I'm disorganized, I want to try to create some spaciousness between the identification 
of that insecure attachment style or any sort of diagnosis and who you are because Mm. we are verbs and not nouns, right? We're ever changing, we're ever evolving, we're healing, we're growing. I think that if if a person identifies too strongly, it can even be hard to notice when there are changes. Mm -hmm. So to notice the stories that we're telling ourselves or they're telling themselves about what it means to be that and allowing there to be transformation from that. Mm. to me and then also trying to steer clear or at least not steer clear from but just know that the social media divisiveness of like black and white this is avoidant this is anxious this is borderline this is narcissism like there's no nuance there and that's not human and uh usually it's just kind of like clickbait so that to me is also a part of depathologizing is understanding we are so much more complex than what we can see on a little square on the interwebs I love that. I love that because attachment style is very nuanced and I do think it's a spectrum and like we can really put ourselves into boxes and use that as like as a covering instead of as an opening. And I love that you touched on like narcissism because I feel like oftentimes attachment style will like kind of lead into these deeper diagnoses can really scare the shit out of people and make them not want to face it. Yeah, totally. Because it can feel scary. I mean, what I've seen in experience with people is if this person is a narcissist, that means that they're evil, that they're a sociopath, yes. that they're going to hurt me. And then like, you can just go into that space of feeling so frightened that you can't see clearly. Or if somebody thinks that about themselves. Yeah. 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 We can really hold on to it. It's scary. I also on social media have stepped into the middle of the attachment style conversation in the comments of my posts. And I was shocked. I mean, I was just shocked what was coming up. Someone was, I was posting about the gifts of a dismissive avoidant because Mm -hmm. I believe that all insecure attachment types have gifts. Mm -hmm. Like it's not just all these like things that we have to fix. It's like, actually you're, you are teaching us some things about life as well. And someone was just like, well, I mean, dismissive appointments just love bomb us and then they walk away and they're horrible people. And I was just like, excuse me? Like, wait a second. What's going on here? I lean dismissive avoidant. Like, this is a much larger conversation than me being put into a box like that. It was it was wild. And I was not expecting it. It was, mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Especially with avoidant. I've noticed that too, that people will say – you know, they're heartless or something that when they've studied what happens in your nervous system, the same thing is happening that's happening in an anxious, anxious person's nervous system. The cortisol levels are high. There's so much anxiety, but you just present differently. In fact, you know, you, I'm sure you know this, but you know, it's just, it feels so scary that you can't be in connection. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. The dissociation you were talking about earlier, I'm like, hello, yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't even have a word for it until two years ago. I couldn't put it all together. Yeah. It's overwhelming. It's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. Totally. So I used to do – I've talked about this so many times. I love therapy. I'm not knocking therapy at all. I think it's great. I think everyone should do it. It's amazing. I spent years in therapy not being honest with my therapist. Mm-hmm. I would just come in and present. It's kind of that presentation that we're talking about of like, I'm great on the surface. I can show you. I would just be like, let me just dig into this tiny little thing. And then you're going to give me some stuff and then we're going to move forward. And like, all I want to know is that I'm doing great or like winning therapy is like kind of really where my mindset was at. 
So I'm curious, have you seen this with clients or have you seen this in this field of, of not being vulnerable, but still trying to do the work? Yes. And it's hard to, it's hard to measure that from the outside. You know, I can't actually know what's happening inside of someone unless they share it. And there are certain things like I work somatically. So there are certain things that you can get to because it's non-verbally like, what are you feeling in your body? But first somebody has to have the awareness of what's happening in their body. And sometimes that can get real into really deep stuff without it kind of going down the trajectory of talk therapy. Like it just can open up this greater door to maybe catharsis or some sort of completion of a nervous system cycle where there is some some amount of relational trauma or other kind of trauma, right? Which is one of the reasons why I like somatic therapy. That's again, if somebody has an awareness of what's happening in their body, if they if in which takes time, especially if you're dissociated, and it takes vulnerability and it takes consistency. And so I don't know, I guess I think and I hold that people will open up when they feel safe enough. And that's why again and again and again I think that secure base and safety is really the main priority and why I don't knock when people are in therapy for their entire lives because you never know what somebody is working with and the amount of safety they've experienced or not experienced in their life. It just sometimes it comes up where somebody's like, oh, this person isn't not therapist, but I've heard people that are not therapists say this person has a therapist and they're not making any progress. Because so many people are in therapy now, that's something that, you know, you're in, you'll be in a group of person, they'll be like, oh, like Sherry's therapist, blah, blah. And you're like, well, you actually cannot really measure it. There's so much <laughs> profound work that can be happening internally for a person. And then one day you wake up and it can be a spiritually chiropractic moment, which is a Julia Cameron term. You know, it's like, it's hard to measure is the very long answer. <laughs> hard to measure. Yeah. And maybe we're all in different measurement systems too. Like That's really key right there too. Yeah. Could you share a little bit about that podcast episode that we were talking about um, before we hit record? I'd love to hear more about kind of that external versus internal relationship of, of what's going on. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. So the podcast episode what, that we were just talking about was, it's called Back from the Borderline. The podcast episode itself was called something along the lines of sunshine on the outside, razor blades on the inside. And it was a really fascinating episode about this experience of emotional over control versus emotional under control. And I was curious about looking at it through the lens of attachment theory, because although they were looking at it through the lens of borderline personality disorder, oftentimes from my understanding, fearful avoidant attachment is at the foundation of borderline personality disorder. So there's going to be some similarities, right? And so if somebody has emotional under control, it's going to be more obvious to see that from the outside. Maybe there's more explosive relationships or it's hard to hold a job or something along those lines. If somebody has emotional over control, they could be more like type A, perfectionistic. They got all their shit together. But on the inside, they're still having that total disorganization internal working model of themselves and the world. There's a lot of fear and there's a lot of really intense, scary stories about connection and intimacy and they don't feel safe. But it can be very hard to see that from the outside. So we have to believe people about their experiences. That episode itself has some you know, ways to cope. And again, I'm just going to plug somatic therapy again, if that's your jam or bottom up processing, that kind of thing to be able to work with knowing more about your nervous system and emotional awareness. So you can widen your window of tolerance where you can feel safe more of the time. 
I love that. What is bottom up therapy? Is that what you just said? Bottom up? Yeah. Bottom up. So bottom up is like, imagine the up is your head. So talk therapy would be like top down. So we're talking to get to the, to, to the issue, to the root, to the healing, but bottom up is first going to the body in order to make kind of like the head clear. So top down would be more CBT and then bottom up could be something like EMDR or somatic experiencing um, modalities that are focusing on sensations in your body or subcortical processing. All of which I just, I have found so incredibly helpful. So plus one on that (laughs) is a game changer Mm because your body is the one that's storing the trauma Mm -hmm. and can be like your roadmap to how to, how to start to heal. Totally. And just normalizing if it takes a while to get there because that can feel Mm. unsafe to be in your body, right? Especially with a person. Yeah. I love this conversation on safety. It's been, I think that's like the most important core wound to start to heal as an insecure attachment style. There's a reason it's the number one pillar. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And even, you know, even for people who are avoidant, even for people who are avoidant, you know, like I just think sometimes when people say that about safety, because I'm, I'm with you, I'm like safety all the way. Some people who be more dismissive avoidant at the forefront will be like, oh, I don't need safety. I need adventure. I need autonomy. I need you to leave me the hell alone. And I'm like, Mm, yes, and you need safety so you can tell me that. And so you can tell me, actually, I need you to hold my hand right now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we talk – we dismissive avoidance talk a big game. But let me tell yeah. you, we're little scary cats inside. We're, we're fucking yeah. scared shitless of everything. But, like, we need our freedom. And that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And also what a beautiful yeah. gift it is to say when you need your freedom, you know? Yes. So good. Um, that's something I'm taking a workshop right now on perfectionism and it's coming up a lot. It's like the opposite of what is the, what is the need behind control? And like, why do I control things? It's like, cause I need freedom. <laughs> Duh. Duh. So I can help, I can help y'all <laughs> remind yourself that you need freedom because <laughs> it's so important. <laughs> it is it's so really important. important. Freedom and safety. Yeah. I love, yeah. I don't know if you yeah. read the book, Polysecure, but Jessica Fern, who wrote it, talks about similar to this. She talks about freedom and autonomy being on one side and then uh, connection and intimacy being on the other, just like we talk about attachment. There's like the, what are those mm-hmm. diagrams called where it's like a T, you know, like, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. like that. I don't know what they're called, but we're doing it for everyone listening. We're doing a gesture. It looks like a T. It looks like a T, yeah. <laughs> and one of them says avoidant and anxious. So we could also say in different terms for the emotional needs there, connection and intimacy, and then adventure and autonomy, right? But she talks about it like if you're riding a horse, you have two reins. And so you need to pull on the connection and intimacy one, and you need to pull on the uh, autonomy and adventure one at different times in order for it to be going straight. Mm, and well uh, said. so we need we need both i have not read that book but it's you this like you're the second person to talk about it this week to me so it's so interesting it's a really good one even even if you're monogamous it's just it's the name can be d- a deterring factor for some people for people who are like no i definitely don't want to be poly i definitely don't want to be non-monogamous but it's that book is so much more because it's about trauma um, non-monogamy and attachment styles, but they talk about an- monogamy too. And it's, she introduces this really incredible area, um, of attachment called, and she calls it the nested model of attachment, which I haven't read much 
pop psychology, at least, about this, where it's not just your primary caretakers that impact your attachment style growing up. It's also culture, religion, society, uh, your experiences with feeling shame, um, friendships. There's just a whole, like, you know, like nested dolls. It's like that all the way out from yourself to society to global, like the relationship that we have with climate even and how that impacts our attachment. So that alone. I love that. Yeah. It's comprehensive. (laughs) There's so much to be learned from polyamory, Mm -hmm. but like trust is from couples that I know that are polyamorous. Trust is the number one word they always talk about that you need. Mm -hmm. And hello, fearful avoidant. That's like what you need is trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like there's, there's, I'm sure it's amazing and I can't wait to read it. It is so good. Yeah. I want to hear what you think about it when you read it. (laughs) I will let you know. I will report back. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want to switch gears a little bit and make sure that we talk about defining sexuality and gender. And this has been something on my mind from the past two years because I came out as queer. Oh, okay. Cool. Last year. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It was a quiet coming out, but it was so necessary. And um, it took me so long to get there, but I got there. What what do like clients come to you struggling with when they're really grasping with sexuality and gender? With sex and sexuality, it really just – it's literally everything you could imagine, dream, and wonder about. You know, people want to know, is this normal? Is the frequency that I want sex normal um, – you know, questions about masturbation and fantasies and kink or vanilla life or all of these, I feel like normal gets asked. Mm -hmm. Um, And then around gender, there's a lot of curiosities and wonderings about, "Hmm, um, you know, I don't really know what, if I fall in line with what is typically considered masculine or feminine, or maybe I like a couple of different genders. And so there's a lot of trying to understand what our messages are from culture, which is really big, of course, but then also family systems. And then what are our biases and stereotypes um, and how that comes into play? And then sometimes what do partners, uh, like what are their biases if they have partner or partners and how that comes into play? So it's a lot of, I mean, I guess more so than even defining, it's more like getting super curious and adventuring into these different realms and trying to understand in a different, more like a researcher kind of way of excavating your insides and trying to understand what aligns from what you've been told versus what is soulfully yours. I love that. When clients come to you and they're like, is this normal? Are you always like, yes? (laughs) I mean, usually I'm like, what does normal mean to you? (laughs) 100%. I feel like I've asked Google so many times. I'm like, okay, well, I watch lesbian porn. Is this normal? And I'm like, Google doesn't fucking know what normal is. Why am I turning to Google? (laughs) And why is our like radar set to normal? Yeah. Yes. Good. Such a better question. Why do I care what's normal, Google? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. I, I like can only imagine what clients are like sharing with you. It sounds – I just sounds – I'm laughing because it's just – it's everything that we do I feel like is human and totally normal, like all of us together. <laughs> yeah. I don't really think there is something that I could say, you could say, that anybody could say that would be so unbelievable. 
Especially if we're coming from a place, the listener, whether or not you're a therapist, if you're coming from a place where you're feeling in a regulated nervous system space yourself, we can deal with whatever, you know, everything is an opportunity for, for growth and healing and understanding. Mm, That's so beautiful. I love that. I love it if if we choose to turn to it. Yeah, yeah. And that's great for in, our insecure attachment styles too because that means that repair is possible. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. I love that reminder because I do know that some people – sometimes I actually catch myself in that thinking. So how do you um, how do you help clients to find their sexuality and their gender, gender identity? Um, I guess just in all the ways that, you know, mentioning of just really looking at – all of the conditioning. I like to think of it like the tea that we're simply steeped in, becoming aware. Like, you know, is it Earl Grey or is it green tea? And does this actually like? Do I actually really want to be in chai tea? <laughs> you know, like. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just really trying to understand in more of a narrative framework way what it is that we're all working with, and then what a client is working with specifically, and maybe what the messages are that they've received, how they're different from how they feel on the inside. And then sometimes how they're the same too. Like, um, if they, if I grew up in an environment where I'm, you know, a cis woman and I grew up mainly by my dad and he really wanted me to be a go-getter. Um, and I've been very career focused and now I'm thinking about, you know, maybe I'm like mid thirties or forties and I'm wondering about what it would be like to get married and have children. But also I feel like I've internalized this need to not be quote unquote feminine. Like that's counterintuitive to what one would think about being a woman in the United States. So then it would just be navigating all of that, um, and figuring out what is really truly aligned for this person, regardless of what they've been told from their parents, like their dad in this specific instance, and then also what culture thinks about them. Because if they read a lot of what is being written, um, depending on what they're reading about, like for instance, if they're like, oh, you're a very feminine woman and you need to get in touch with your masculinity and this and this woman's like, wait a minute, that's a uh, but that doesn't align with me at all. And I feel confused, you know, so we would just navigate those waters together. That's so beautiful. I encourage anyone that is questioning to start to look at it Mm -hmm. because it can be so freeing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, totally. We do not need to be confined. It doesn't even really make sense to be confined. Contain multitudes (laughs) like Walt Whitman. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Uh, well, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience that's on their own healing journey? I mean, I guess just akin to what we've been talking about is just having the courage to question, question society, question what you've heard is right, and to just really trust your own heart and to I feel like that's the greatest work of my life and what I help people do in their own healing journeys is begin to cultivate a deeper relationship with your authentic authenticity your heart and your own journey and you know give less shit care <laughs> give less yes shit. Uh. give less of a shit about what you're being told you don't need to fit in yeah <laughs> I love that. I give less of a shit. 
I'm just uh, the hands down. If I'm taking anything else away from this, it's give less of a shit for the things that don't matter and really, really yeah. just you know being purposeful with your heart. That feels important too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With both of those things in mind, also give less of a shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because it just doesn't matter yeah like the comparison doesn't matter the normalcy doesn't matter like none of that matters it's living your truth living your truth yeah I honestly think the only things that matter in this whole entire life is the ability to be able to connect with people honestly and to love those it sounds so simple Oh and they're so important yeah. and they sometimes can be the hardest. Totally. There's so many barriers to love, right? Yeah. I find myself judging people all the time. I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? I know this is how I was conditioned, but like, this isn't what I want for me. Yes. Well, girl, you probably are judging yourself more intensely than you judge other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's the lesson. There it is. Yeah, which then I'm like, okay, we gotta, we got some more shadow work to do here, mm-hmm. <sighs> and more confession. Wow. <laughs> what more confession? More Is confession for yourself. Oh <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that. Thank you for that reminder. Thank you. Okay, so how can listeners follow along or get in touch with you with what you're up to? Yeah, so uh, my website is tawnylyons.com. It's T-A-U-N-E-L-Y-O-N-S. Or I am on Instagram, same thing, Tawny Lines. You can find me there or on LinkedIn, but typically I post more often on Instagram. Um, and uh, I also am at, I teach classes at the Tat Lab, which is now pivoting over to being called Treehouse Collective, which is really cool. I teach on attachment styles. And I really love teaching there. There's a sweet group of people there. Um, and yeah, I'll be teaching some workshops as well. And they can keep up with me through Instagram to find out more about that. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Tani, thank you so much for being on today. This was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun to talk with you. show. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed. If you have a moment and you're in the Apple podcast app, please rate and review the show. I could really use all the ratings I can get. And please share this episode with a friend that may benefit from it. Of course, hit subscribe to keep up with new weekly episodes. And if you're interested in supporting the show and being part of the Lit AF community, join our Patreon by visiting sarahcohan.com forward slash tip jar. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash tip jar. Thank you again for listening. Please stay lit, lit AF, and I hope to see you back here next week.